Hey, you're back. Shabbat Shalom. We are ready for a new season, a brand new season. This is going to be our eighth edition Torah parasha, Torah cycle. Now, we were on the calendar, of course, that begins with the day after the equinox. So thus, we are two weeks late if we're going to be on the cycle of the traditional Torah cycle, which is the one that I've chosen to implement this year, just because what I have found in years past, there's some kind of synergistic energy when everybody is studying the same portion of Scripture the world over. I really do believe that. And you can, you can meet an Orthodox Jew in New York and know that he's studying the very same cycle as you are. And you can meet somebody else in Spain or somebody in South Africa, and you're all reading the very same segment of Scripture. It's pretty powerful. I've seen some amazing things meeting people over the world in the years that I have been doing it. Thus, we are not in Bereshit today, but Lech Lecha, which is Genesis chapter 12. But I don't believe in ko-winky-winky kin coincidences, do you? This is the inception point of the Malkitzedic teaching, which is what this ministry is foundational, foundational ground is set upon. Yahusha as the Malkitzedek Kohen Haggadah. Well, Lech Lecha, Genesis Bereshit 12, is Malkitzedek 101. So I don't think it's a coincidence that we get to start the Torah cycle, the eighth edition at this point. So join with me. This is a good time for you to give us some thumbs up if you're in the chat. Greet one another. Make those connections. And please, right now, subscribe to the ministry. Subscribe, and you can also follow us on BitChute. On BitChute. I'm so happy to be back. We had a fabulous, fabulous Sukkot. Feast of Tapernacles here in Oregon. And I know many of you on the Connect um, page here at TorahToTheTribes.com. You congregated in other places and other states, and I have good reports back from many, many people. So Yahweh bless you and keep the faith. We are now going through the winter as we now get ready to approach Pesach, the Passover. This is a very, very interesting time, and I'm excited to be back in the balance of the Torah cycle with you. So turn with me to Bereshit, Genesis chapter 12, Lech Lecha. And Yahweh said to Abram, go yourself out. That phrase right there is Lech Lecha. Go yourself out of your land from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. You see, this is what we have to do. You and I are going to be stuck in this satanic system full of adhesion contracts until we decide we're going to cross over from some rotten soil that produces nothing but lies. And we're going to cross over into a better soil, which means to become an Ivrim, a Hebrew, to cross over from one soil to a better soil to produce a bounty of fruit and crop. 
That's what Abram did. You have to cross over. You have to realize that you want to come out of Mesopotamian sun god worship. You've got to come out of mystery Babylon. That is what brings us into the faith that we now have, right? And that, again, those that are stuck back in Mesopotamia, they're drinking everything and they're into all of the adhesion contracts of Mesopotamia and they don't believe that they have a choice in anything. They just have to go along with whatever their bosses tell them to do. But you and I, we've crossed over. And yes, we're now ready to meet reach, excuse me, Malkit Zedek. So we find in the second verse that Yahweh now gives the promise here to Abram. And he says, I shall make you a great nation and bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I shall bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you all the clans of the earth shall be blessed. This is the promise, the inception point of Lech Lecha, the Torah cycle and Torah portion that we have today. I want to just touch on this 8th edition Torah to the tribes parashah for you so that you can have a foundation with me. Where does this Torah parashah or cycle of reading even come from that we are now embarking on? Well, the Torah parashah, which basically means portion or segment, is a section of a biblical book in the Masoretic text of the Tanakh. The Tanakh, of course, being an acronym for the Torah, the Nevim, the Ketuvim. That is the acronym for the Torah, the Prophets, Nevim, and the Ketovim, the Writings. And the weekly Torah portion, which is cyclical, because everything with Yahuwah is cyclical, is called the Parashat Ha-Shavuah. The Parashat Ha-Shavuah, which is your weekly cycle. So these parashah are designated by various types of spacing as you go along through the text. And of course, there are no chapter and verses or even punctuation within the Torah scroll. The only thing you'll find within the Torah scroll is the jots and tittles. The jots being like bite marks um, that um, you see pin marks, like bite marks, that you see above certain words and phrases, and then the titles are the elongated word letters uh, that bring forth another teaching found in them. But what you find in the division of the text, in the parashot, in these biblical books, is, of course, that they are independent of the King Jimmy chapter and verse numbers, which, of course, aren't part of any Torah scroll. So they're not numbered, but they have special names. And those names are usually found within the first few words of the parashot, like today, lech lecha, get for yourself or get out for yourself. So this parashot appear in manuscripts as early as the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were doing this, teaching the weekly Torah cycle in the time of Yahusha. 
even before him. Where the division was generally the same um, as we today find in the Masoretic text. It's truly an age-old tradition of reading the text. And Rav Shaliak Shaul, Rabbi Apostle Paul, he spoke about traditions. There's nothing wrong with traditions as long as they're not pagan sun god traditions and you're not taking away from the text. But traditions that reinforce your biblical worldview and reinforce the scripture, they're fine to do. I just had a bunch of traditions last night as I was breaking bread with my family, separating the secular work week out for the upcoming Sabbath. Why was I doing that? Because I want to keep the Sabbath, but I also have young children and I want to bring in those family traditions. But I'm not doing a bunch of um, pagan traditions. So sometimes we can find that when we cross over, we have such an adversity to anything with traditions because we were doing so many pagan traditions that we throw out the baby with the bathwater. But here we can see that this is truly an age-old tradition of reading the text. And we will find, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 16, that Yahusha actually partook in the parashat ha-shavuah when he read the half-tara. Now what's the half-tara? The half-tara is the corresponding reading of the Torah cycle from the prophets. So you have a theme, it's thematic within the Torah, but there is the same theme of the story that is then developed in the prophets. That's called the Haftarah. And then we as believers in Yahusha, we then have the Brit Hadashah, the third cycle portion, which should actually then bring more revelation. So it's really threading the needle from the Torah to the Haftarah, the prophets or the writings, and into the Brit Hadashah for a full encompassing revelation of the scripture. So what we find is the half-tara portion that Yahushua was reading was Yeshayahu, Isaiah, chapter 61. And you'd have to go, well, hang on a minute. What is the Torah portion reading that has the half-tara of Yeshayahu, Isaiah 61? It is none other than one found in Devarim, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy called Nitzavim, Torah portion, Nitzavim, standing ones. And if you can still stand, my brother, stand. We need to cross over from Mesopotamian sun god worship and stand on the good soil of Yahuwah in this sick and twisted world. No matter what kings of the earth try and do to you and me, you better stand and be able to stand. That's the days and the life that we live because Yahuwah will bring forth the shield of Avraham to protect you and guard you against anything that the kings of this earth attempt to do because ultimately they're going to run away like a bunch of cowards to Afghanistan and hide in the mountains and all the cliffs are going to come tumbling down upon them and we're going to see it very shortly don't worry 
Bill Clinton's already hospitalized this week, you know. So, you know, time is a ticking. Time is a ticking, my friend. But back to the text. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, Yahushua, of course, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, that's a tradition, his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Shabbat day. And he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the half-tarah scroll of the prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah. And when he had opened the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of Adonai is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the Bessorah, the good news to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance, to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of Adonai. And verse 20, he closed the scroll and he gave it again to the rabbi and sat down. And the eyes of them all that were in the synagogue were fastened and affixed upon him. This, again, like I said, is the half-Torah for Torah Parashat Nitzavim. You are to be standing ones. You've got to stand on your square and not be moved. You need to stand as kings and priests upon this earth and not be moved. Because this is a day and age where everybody is attempting to use threats, duress, coercion, fear, and force to get you to compel to their directives and get you to move off your square. But you don't have to do it. We all came out of a womb and we're all going back to the dust unless Yahushua transfigures us beforehand. Nobody is any better than you are. Okay? So get that into your head. Because the whole reason the kings of the earth act this way is because they want you to believe that you're slave chattel. But you're not. You're free men and free women. You are the children of Israel. And we are not going to go back to bondage again. It's not happening because Yahweh is calling us out of mystery Babylon because we're going to stand as kings and priests upon this earth after the order of Malkitzedek. And when we walk that way and we talk that way, we will actually meet with Malkitzedek and break bread and wine. It's, it's a kingdom of honor. It's a kingdom of honor, and it is upon this earth right now. I, I actually am so excited about this next season of challenges, of course. It's always challenges. But we see here that Yahushua is standing on his square. Nitzavim. But why did he finish the text of the half Torah prematurely? That's why everyone's eyes in the synagogue was affixed upon him, because he should have carried on reading, but he abruptly finished the half Torah text. Why? Because the last section of the half Torah in Isaiah 61, verse 12, it is written, And the day of vengeance of our Elohim to comfort all that mourn. 
Well, you see, Yahusha came to fulfill the spring feasts. But the day of vengeance is Yom Kippur. That's the full feast. And he did not come to fulfill the full feasts at the time of that writing in Luke chapter 4. So therefore, he did not go past Shavuot. He set his mission and his proclamation there in Isaiah was only that he had come to fulfill the spring feasts. And then he stopped abruptly before we get into the full feasts. But brethren, you and I are not looking for Moshiach ben Yosef. We are looking for a conquering king, not a suffering servant. And we better stand as conquering kings because the world wants to treat you like suffering servants. But those days are over, brethren. He has fulfilled being the suffering servant and he wants us to stand as conquering kings to embrace the conquering king who's going to pour out his wrath on a yarp rejecting society beginning at Yom Teruah then you have the 10 days of awe into Yom Kippur, and then he's going to bring us into Sukkot, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 12 details the fulfillment of the full feasts, specifically Yom Kippur and Sukkot, if you reread Isaiah 61, verse 12. That's why he stopped abruptly. But I must restrict myself and come back to the text of Genesis 12. Lech lecha, go forth yourself. Yahuwah said to Avram, get out of your country from your mishpocha, your family, and from your Abba's bayit house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a goy gadol, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a braka, a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And, and in you all the mishpachot, families of the earth, shall be blessed or mingled and mixed. And are we not a bunch of mixed and mingled group? Just like Yahuwah brought out of Mitzrayim the first time. He's going to bring out a mixed multitude out of Mystery Babylon the last time. Now we get into the foundational Malkitzedic texts. Genesis 12 and so forth and so on. We'll also see Malkitzedic in Genesis 14 and then the covenant of the pieces in Genesis 15 and that's what I want to camp out on today because there's a lot of people that have new to the ministry and they want to understand the Malkitzedic priesthood we've really got two traditions out there within Judeo Christianity okay which I think is an oxymoron, but that's a term that they use, okay? It's like a kosher pig, right? Judeo-Christianity principles, you know? And you're like, well, hang on a minute, that's conflicting, isn't it? But that's what they use. Christianity, Jesus came, he died, he rose again after three days, and he did away with the law. Now you've got this New Testament and you live all by grace and you get to do a bunch of pagan stuff and everything's good because in your heart you love the Lord. 
Then on the other side of the aisle, you've got Judaism that denies Yahushua is the Messiah and is Torah, 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 but they don't do the Torah because they're so busy studying all the Mishnaic text that is a ba basically a bunch of squabbles by occult rabbis for thousands of years. They're in the Mishnah and the Talmud and all these extra biblical works which are commentaries on the Torah that they've lost the plot. Really, they've both lost the plot because they're both on the broad road. So then Yahweh wakes you and I up by his Holy Spirit because we actually had a born-again moment and met the Mashiach. So now his Ruach is in us, so we are led by the power and the Spirit of truth. And we start to question things because we're not lemmings. And we don't believe things that people just tell us. We question authority. What a concept. Critical thinkers. What a concept. And you go, well, hang on a minute. Where does it say that Shabbat is Sunday? Where does, where's that scripture? Where does it say that Sukkot is Christmas? And why are we bringing in a blooming tree from outside, cutting it down, and then taking all of our lights inside and taking them outside? This is insanity. You want me to go outside and cut down a tree and bring it inside and then take all my lights that are inside and go stick them outside. Okay, yeah, sounds good. But this is what we grew up, so it did sound good for a bit, but it's not in the Bible. Well, actually it is. It's in Jeremiah chapter 10, or is it 8, brethren? 10. It's Jeremiah 10. He says, don't do that stuff. Do not go a whoring after the ways of the pagans and cut an axe to the tree and bring it inside your house and set it up so it doesn't teeter and totter. And do not put the bulls of Mithras on it either, please, for crying out loud. So this is what we've come to. We've only got two options, apparently. We're either all grace with no law or we're Torah, 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 and you're a Jew and into Judaism. Well, then you have the Messianic movement that tries to bridge the gap. But they really do a very poor job. I tried. I was a part of the Messianic movement for many years. And I'm not, I'm not despising that. But they lost the plot. Because they can't answer the Levitical sacrifices. They can't answer... Why we're not doing that anymore? Well, when they build a temple, what? Then we're going to go back up to Jerusalem and we're all going to watch the Levitical priesthoods as second-class citizens as they start slaying animals again. And what's this final sacrifice that the writer of the book of Hebrews? Leviticus and the Levitical sacrifices is in total conflict to the book of Hebrews and the resurrection of Messiah. But nobody wants to address that. But there is another way. The third way, which is the narrow way that leads to the Malkitzedic Kohen Haggadol. Because as I've said over many, many, many years, at the end of the day, you have to go, where does this path take you? If you follow the Christian traditional path, it will take you to the Pope. It's papal in origin and pagan in origin. If you follow the Judaism's path, eventually you're going to end up on the Temple Mount 
with a Levitical high priest and you will be second-class citizens outside. And Yahushua will have nothing to do with it because he is not of the tribe of Levi. Or the third way will lead you directly to the Malkitzedic high priest who purchased you through his blood. And it will take the Torah and the Brit Hadashah and bring them into perfect harmony. Perfect harmony because it's all about covenant and it's all about Malkitzedic. That's what I'd like to be able to present here in this Torah Parsha Leklakar. So we start off with this covenant here in Genesis 12. It's unconditional in its nature. Because what we find here is that Yahweh swears by no one higher than himself. And that's reflected in the Psalms of Psalm 110, specifically in verse 5. But Abraham, think about it. Yahweh swears he's going to do all this to Abraham. Abraham goes away for a little bit, just like you and I. And you'd be like, hmm, now I wonder if he's really going to do it. So Abraham comes back in Genesis 15 and he's like, how do I know that you're really going to do what you said you're going to do? So then Yahuwah makes a conditional covenant arm that's connected back to Genesis 12, which is unconditional. And he says, okay, Abram, you're going to have to slay open these pieces. But if you break this covenant, this is conditional. And there's going to be a death penalty position. Now remember, Genesis 12, no matter what happens, Yahuwah swore by no one higher than himself. It's unconditional. But because Abram had a crisis of faith, he's like, well, how do I know you're actually really going to give me that? I need some kind of signature guarantee. That's a conditional contract. So Yahuwah makes a conditional contract in Genesis 15. And it's attached to Genesis 12. But Genesis 12 is unconditional. But now there's a contractual arm. Does that make sense? If you break that contractual arm, there is going to be a penalty. Once that penalty is paid, you will get full access back to the Genesis 12 unconditional covenant. But if that contractual arm is broken, you're going to have to pay that penalty before you get to access the true blessing, which is contained in Genesis 12. This is basic contract and covenant law. It's still in work today. Okay? You and me can make an oral or an oral agreement that is binding. But then you walk away and you're like, man, I don't know. I mean, I would like something in writing from Matthew. And you come back and you're like, how do I know I'm really going to get? I say, oh, well, we just made an oral agreement. Well, you know what? I want it in writing. I'm like, well, I'm a bit disappointed in your lack of faith in me. I'll tell you what, because you don't really have that kind of faith. Um, we'll make a contractual arm to this, but there's going to be some more penalties and a little bit more um, detail in that because you did request that because you wouldn't take me at my word. So, you know, we're going to have this. Now, if you do break that, then you're going to have to fulfill that before you come back and get full access to what I would have given you for free, which was basically because I swore by no one higher than myself. Does that make sense? Because people have a problem understanding this. This is basic covenant and contract law. 
So, I'm trying to lay the stage for you, because this is quite complex, but really I'm trying to make it Reader's Digest version, if I could ever do such a thing as that. So, here's a good example. I oath or swear by myself to give you my house, out of my good pleasure. But later you come back to me with a contract for a bit of security because you, because you can't believe that I would actually give you my house. So you want some kind of signature or some kind of security agreement. Now, if you default and break the covenant that you brought to me, I'll hold you to whatever we signed, which was the covenant between the pieces. But ultimately, didn't I always want to just give you my house and everything that came later was always wrapped around my good pleasure oath to you. Does that make sense? It's kind of me paraphrasing the reality of these two covenants. It's reflected in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. For when Yah made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. That's Genesis 12. Saying, surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. This is the Genesis 12 covenant. It's unconditional and all-encompassing. An oath is a covenant. Yahweh oathed. He agreed, he covenanted to himself to bless Abraham and his descendants before Yahweh ever entered into covenant with Abraham and his descendants later in Genesis 15. Okay? So we get the foundational oath covenant, the swearing covenant that we're all connected to. It's Genesis 12. And then, before Genesis 15 ever comes in, what do we find? Malkitzedek. Genesis, Bereshit 14, and the 18th verse. And Malkitzedek, king of Shalem, Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now, he was the priest of Yah Most High, or Yahuwah El Elyon. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of Elohim Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be Elohim Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. And this is where the Ma'aser, the tithe, comes from. So some people would be critical and say, well, why do you collect the tithe at Torah to the tribes? Well, we are a Malkitzedic ministry. We're not a Levitical ministry. And this is a Ma'aser. This is the first mention of the tithe. It's a tenth of all. This is where it comes from. Now, later in the Levitical hierarchy, they get to split it up over the cycles. But we go back to the Torah of first mention. But what's going on here with the meeting between Shem, who is Malkitzedek, and Abram? Now you go, well, how do you know Shem is Malkitzedek? Well, because I read the book of Yasha. And because I've done a study on this, and you can look at it, I think I'm wearing some red shoes sitting next to Jim Staley. Okay, which is how many of you found this ministry in the first place many years ago. But Abram, he had just defeated four kings. 
Amraphel, Arioch, Shedaloamah, and Tidal. And they had just made war against Sodom and taken his nephew Lot captive, you may remember. Now, what's really interesting here is King Shedaloamah is mentioned in the meeting of Malkitzedek and Abram. In Bereshit, Genesis, check it out, verses 17 through 20. Then after his, Abram's return from the defeat of the kings and the defeat of Shedalomar, who were with him, the king of Sodom then comes out to meet him in the valley of Shever, which is King's Valley. We actually have a King's Valley eight miles down the road, and we're in Shelem, Salem. And then south of us is a city called Goshen. So I'm just saying, brethren, if you're not liking where you're living, then maybe you should come out here. Um, if we stand as kings, then we really don't need to worry too much about what kind of governor is put in, right? Because we stand on our square and we understand that there is separation of powers between the branches of government, right? Okay? Most people don't understand that. But there I go again. There I go again. My question when I read this text is, why aren't the other king, kings mentioned by name? Why is only Shedalomar in Genesis 14, verse 17, why is the only one mentioned by name? Well, of course, that causes me to think many things, and I come to this conclusion. It's because Shedalomar was a descendant of Shem Malkitzedek. Shedalomar was king of Elam, Genesis 14, 1 through 9. And Elam was a son of Shem, Genesis 10, verse 22. So think what just happened here. What just took place? We just had a family feud. Abraham just got mixed up in a family feud, and he just killed one of Malkitzedek's relatives. I mean, this could have gone bad for him. This is what happened. Abraham one of Shem's descendants through Apsphraxad, that's a lot for me to say, it's not something I say every day, just killed Shedolomar, one of Shem's descendants through Elam in a battle. That's what just happened. Then who's going to show up? Shem's going to show up and go, well, what's going on here then? What kind of trouble you're in? You, 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 you're killing within the clan. So Shem shows up and makes peace with Avram by bringing bread and wine. Avram settles all claims against him, which is the Malkitzedek priesthood. He makes peace with Shem by giving him a tenth of all. It's a family feud. Avraham, a descendant of Malkitzedek Shem, kills Shedolomar, a descendant of Malkitzedek Shem. Shem shows up, they have a meeting, and they then come and have equity prevail, and Avraham 
settles all claims against his estate. This is our calling in this life. Whatever claims people have against me, have against you, our job is not to argue. It is not to fight. It is to settle all claims and to be in peace. And then we live in peace no matter what accusations are thrown at us, no matter what kind of threats. It, do it doesn't matter. 20 years in jail, $10 billion. Settle all claims. I'm not going to argue that. That's insanity. Why would I want to waste my time arguing? It's only going to make put me in dishonor. And I used to do that. But there is a better way. It's the way of Zedek. And it's in operation in this world. It's in operation in this world, I assure you. This is exactly what Avraham did. That is what the War of the Kings is all about. And if, brethren, you don't think people are making claims against you right now, your governors are making claims to you, to your body. Your employers are making claims to your body. Many of you are trying to argue it. You don't need to. You do not need an exemption for something from birth that you were already exempt from because you are sons of the living Elohim. Now the heathen, godless people out there, well, they're going to need all the exemptions that they can get because they do not follow Yahuwah. So they've got to go ask permission. Why would you ask permission for something that you already have? Because you haven't been taught to stand on your square. Nitzavim. Nitzavim. That is what this next journey in our lives is all going to be about. Compelled performance and standing on your square. And I know I keep saying it, I'm banging on like an old drum, an old kettle drum. But I know, because Yahuwah has shown me, and I do not, you can go back and look at all my teachings, I do not say that lightly. I do not say that lightly. And my goal is to help you, as Yahuwah has shown me, how to navigate the days in which we lived, and it's all right in this Torah portion, so I must continue. This, of course, reveals the truth about Yahushua the Messiah. He is the Malkitzedek who comes to bring peace to a family feud, does he not? You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you had the Zadokites, you had the Zealots, everybody, everybody, you had the Romans, all mankind warring together. Again, a family feud. And did Yahushua come and settle all claims? He did. And he was given access to discharge death because of it. Yahushua, of course, is the one who brings peace, shalom, to a family feud after a great war between kingdoms and nations. And we are about to enter into a great war between kingdoms and nations. So if you want to enter into that battle, 
then you go for it. I'm not going. I'm not going to be a party to it. Because I'm of another kingdom. And I, my citizenship, it's in the Shamayim. That's what I'm going to stand on. You stand where you want to. But I advise you to seek the scriptures and you see where your citizenship is. It's in the Shamayim. Give me that scripture verse, somebody. Put it up on the screen or in the chat. So well, let's continue on. And, and that's what our whole time at Sukkot was about was how when we walk as priests, we should choose to settle all claims against us in this life, and then we can live in shalom. Because the facts, and I say it all the time, the facts are on the moon. The facts are on the moon. Who killed who? Well, who killed who? It matters not. The facts are on the moon. It's all about walking out the priesthood, which is a priesthood of honor seeking to settle all claims. I'm not looking to argue. I do not want a controversy, and I will not be a party to a controversy. If somebody's trying to stir up a controversy, then that's their job. They get paid to stir up a controversy. I don't. It's not my life. I live in Shalom regardless of controversies around me. That's part of why I've been successful in life. Because I don't engage in controversies. And I've had them ever since I was a small boy. And I have had years of navigating them. Years of navigating. And they will come again. But if you engage in the controversy, you are a party to it. And you'll end up Slaves and chattel, taken captive by sodomites. That's exactly what happened to Lot. Right? So again, there's a lot here to unpack. But we are just here in life, my friends, to settle the accounting and discharge all debts and claims against us. That's what Yahusha teaches. The promised covenant with death penalty now comes after you come to the realization of the Malkitzedek. Now, Genesis 15, we're going to find a conditional covenant that can be broken invoking the death penalty. And this is the purpose of Yahusha. This is what he came to discharge, this covenant. This is the whole purpose Yahushua came. He came to discharge the death penalty position because the remedy is not found in Genesis 15. Where's the remedy found? The remedy is found in Genesis 12, but you can't get to Genesis 12 until you discharge the death penalty position of Genesis 15. Then you get access to the remedy. The remedy was always available, right? It's always available. But it's going to be blocked. Right now, today, in our world, the remedy is available, but it's blocked by statutory law, which is akin to Genesis 15. And if you stay in Genesis 15, you'll never get the remedy. It's designed that way. 
And those that are trained in Genesis 15, they're never trained in the remedy that came before it. There's nothing new under the sun, brethren, and I'm speaking, and many of you are not understanding, and that's okay. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. After these things, the word of Yahuwah came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Yahweh Elohim, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my own house is mine heir. And behold, the word of Yahweh came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he shall come forth out of thine own bowels, shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards the Shamayim, the heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed Yahuwah, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am Yahuwah that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, But Yahuwah Elohim, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece upon against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Avraham drove them away. Those are the jinn. Those are the people out there right now. You have to realize there's a bunch of fowls trying to come down on you and come down on me. And our purpose is what? We drive them away by living the way that we are called to live in the priesthood, by standing as kings, by standing as kings and priests after the order of Melchizedek, in a world that is being tossed to and fro like a rudderless ship, James talks about. So now we find here in the 11th verse, the twelfth verse, and when the sun was going down, a half-conscious state fell upon Abram. This is an awful King Jimmy translation that you would have. I've corrected the translation based upon the Hebrew word there, tardamah, tardamah. You must have, how many, can you imagine making a contract or a covenant with somebody when they're asleep? Would that, how would that stand up in a court of law? It wouldn't very well, would it? Or you, you knock somebody out. Oh, yeah, we got, I got this great contract with my builder. Just happened to knock him out with a brick before we made it. Uh, this, is, this is crazy. You have to have two conscious parties to make a contract. Now, one of them can be in a bit of a trance, a bit hypnotic. Well, that's on him. Well, actually, it was on Yahuwah and Abram because of the presence and power of Yahuwah. But he was in a half-conscious state. He was not 
knocked out and he was not asleep. The Hebrew word there is tadamah. And he said to Abram in verse 13, Know of a surety that thy seed shall come and shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. Now, the tribe of Ephraim, they misread this prophecy. And the book of Yasha tells us in somewhere in the 70th chapter, I believe it is, that the tribe of Ephraim, they left Egypt 30 years early. Hence, the 400 and the 30-year reference later in the Gospels. And in fact, not the Gospels, when Paul was speaking. You'll find that, that 430 years, I believe it shows up in Galatians. Verse 14. Oh, okay. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy father's in Shalom. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river of Euphrates. And there we have the conditional contractual arm of the Malkitzedic covenant. So the writer of Hebrews identifies Genesis 12 as the unconditional covenant, not Genesis 15, because the oath of swearing only appears in Genesis 12. You didn't read anything about an oath of swearing there. Hebrews 6.13, Yahweh swears to himself by himself, for there was no greater. That is the unconditional Malkizedic covenant of Genesis 12. Notice there is no death penalty position in Genesis 12. That is nothing happening there. The death penalty position going between the slaughtered half animals does not occur until Genesis 15. So the only covenant that cannot be broken is the one that we, as fallible human beings, are not party to. Can we agree on that? Everything that we seem to touch in life because of the fall of Adam the Chava, it's broken, it's tainted. You can have the best of intentions, right? But still, somehow you got involved in it. It's going to be tainted. The only covenant that is untainted is Genesis 12. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 8 says, For finding fault with them. Yahweh doesn't find fault with himself. That would be impossible. Genesis 12. He finds fault with Abram and the descendants of Abram later at the golden calf. And now you know why in John chapter 8 verse 56 it is written, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Well, what day? 
Abraham rejoiced to see Yahusha's day because Yahusha was the flaming, flaming, smoking furnace and burning lamp that walked between the pieces here. Which means what? If this covenant is broken, somebody's going to have to die. And until the one dies, you never have access back to the Malkit-Sedic covenant of Genesis 12. You're always going to be under man's law. Jeremiah 31 verse 32 says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith Yahuwah. It's not according to that covenant. And that's where Judaism and the Messianics get it very wrong. They're looking at the wrong covenant. They're not understanding that the inception point is Genesis 12. That it has a contractual arm of Genesis 15 that was broken with a death penalty position where Yahushua was the smoking, um, the smoking, why do I always get um, that tied up? The smoking furnace and the burning lamp, I get them switched back and forth oftentimes. The smoking furnace and the burning lamp that pass between the pieces that ratified the covenant. Therefore, if it's broken, who's going to have to die? Yahushua. And when he pays that death penalty position, what do you have full access to? The whole remedy of Genesis 12. That now, no matter what you and I do, if we're in covenant, Yahuwah will restore us. That doesn't mean we go out sinning, heaven forbid. But there is forgiveness and there is redemption under the Malkitzedic priesthood. There is a covering because we accept the death penalty position that Yahushua paid, which all the descendants after him, they were under the book of the law until that got paid. So let's continue on. This is pretty powerful. I hope you're getting it. There's so much to cover. I'm like, well, how can I tell this in one Torah portion and try and keep it under an hour and a half? And now you know why when you look at my old Torah portion cycles, I'm banging on for like two hours. It's hard to get through it. So let's, let's continue. So a few, a few points before we finish. The only blood ratified covenant that these fathers were ever physically party to was the book of the covenant. In, Gen in Exodus chapter 19 verses 5 and Exodus chapter 24 verse 8, we see that. Later on, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were taken to the mountain in Exodus 19. That's when the fulfillment of the Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, 430 years from that point of Genesis 15, the time of the Amorites was fulfilled, they were taken out and they were given this covenant. But within 30 days, they broke it with the golden calf, which then brought in the death penalty position. They broke the Genesis 15 arm. Therefore, they were no longer in the book of the covenant. 
Exodus 19. They broke it. What was given in Exodus 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, that was broken. They were put under a schoolmaster, the book of the law, in time, until the time of reformation when the seed would come, would pay the death penalty position, take us out from under the book of the law, which was the Levitical priesthood and all of its ordinances, and transfer us, the book writer of Hebrews says it was a transference of priesthood back to the promise in a nutshell. You even see it today where people, in, in our modern language, people say, cross my heart and hope to die. Well, you don't want to say that, right? But where does that come from? Well, the crossing of the heart evidences the dividing of the flesh, and the hoping to die part evidences the death penalty. It goes back to the language of Genesis 15, even in our modern language. Abraham cut the animals in half, but the birds he left whole, Genesis 15:10. This speaks to Yahushua's remedy and discharge of the death penalty position, symbolized by the flaying open of the pieces. Now we know what Paul was talking about to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. What remains? What always remained? Genesis 12. But the book of the law which was imposed after the golden calf was done away with because Yahushua paid the death penalty position and turns us, returns us back to which is more glorious. Seeing then that we have such a hope, we use great plainness of speech, not as Moshe, who had to put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, Christianity will go, well, see, the Torah is abolished. No, the book of the law, which was added after the golden calf, all of the Levitical ordinances, we don't do that anymore because our high priest paid the death penalty position by his crucifixion, which then remedies Genesis 15 and gives us access to the full blessing which Yahweh swore by himself, which now brings us all the way back to the book of the covenant Everything from Genesis 1 all the way forward without the Levitical ordinances. There's total harmony in the Torah. We're not doing away with anything. We're not doing it. We're not anti-law. There's harmony. You have to realize the Malkitzedic transference. It makes total sense. Now, in Matthew 4, I shared this a little bit at Sukkot, we see what Satan was trying to do. Because Yahweh compelled Yahushua's performance. And Yahushua performed, and he fulfilled the death penalty position. Satan was also trying to compel Yahushua's performance. In Hebrews 9, verse 10, it is written, And carnal ordinances were imposed on them until the time of reformation. After the, book of the, um, after the golden calf breach, the book of the law was imposed on them until this time of reformation when Yahushua came. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, it is written, Not as Moshe, 
who put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this very day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. How many people today read the Old Testament? And they, 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 even now listening, some of you are like, what is he saying? I don't understand. Any, because you've been programmed either by the church or by Judaism or the Messianic movement. It's real simple. And now I'll sum it up in a, under a minute. Yahweh said to Abraham, I'm going to give it all to you because I love you, because you've crossed over and you've left Mesopotamia and you are my man. And I'm going to swear by myself, you've got nothing to do with it, because if you did, you'd mess it up and we'd have a problem. I swear by myself, Abraham, and to your descendants. Abraham walks away. He has a crisis of faith like you and I would. He comes back. He's, he's like, you know, I need some kind of guarantee. How do I know that you're going to really do what you say you're going to do, Yahweh? And Yahweh says, okay, then. Here's a conditional contract arm. Flay open these pieces. My son will walk down the middle of them. Now, if you break the covenant or your descendants do, He's going to have to die because otherwise you guys are going to be stuck in no man's land and you will not have access to the blessing of Genesis 12, which I was going to give you for free. But you're going to have to wait, Abraham, from this time because your descendants are going to go down into Egypt. You're going to get put in slavery. And 430 years later, you're going to come and get the fullness of this covenant. Even with a conditional arm, you're going to get all the blessings. You're going to come to the mountain. My man Moses is going to go up there. He's going to get the mitzvot. You're going to come down. You're going to have all the blessings in Exodus 19 and 20. And you are going to live as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are the children of Abraham. You have left slavery. You are my people. You are coming into the promised land. And I'm about to set up my kingdom right now. But oh no. It wasn't good enough for them. 30 days later, they break the confidence that now brings in the death penalty conditional contract of Genesis 15. And Yahweh says, you don't have access to the book of the covenant, the blessings of Genesis 12 now. I just gave it to you at Exodus 19. Therefore, I'm going to slaughter you all, mass genocide. You're all dead. And Moses comes to Yahuwah and he says, Yahuwah, Yahuwah, please. They're going to say that you just brought them out of Egypt to kill them all. And he says, well, for Moses, for my name, for your name, and my name's great sake, I won't slaughter them all. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them under the book of the covenant. They're going to be under a schoolmaster with all of these ordinance and this minutia. Now, because you guys couldn't get it, you're going to have to build a tabernacle. I'm going to give you a word picture. You're going to be slaying animals. You're going to see all this blood. It's going to be fat. There's going to be grease. There's going to be blood, blood, blood. So you can get the word picture to understand what I was trying to show you from the heavens anyway. And you're going to be under the minutiae of this schoolmaster until I can bring about a remedy. So they're under the book of the law. They've got kings, they've got judges, they've got prophets, and they can't even stay within the book of the law. They're sent to Babylon. They're in Babylon 70 years. 
The temple's destroyed. They, they've got no remedy. Then the remedy comes, Yahusha. He lives in perfect equity. Perfect equity. He doesn't argue anything. He doesn't argue the facts, the law, the jurisdiction, or the venue on anything. And therefore, he is able to discharge death. And he is able to discharge the death penalty position, which gives you and I access to the remedy available in Genesis 12. That's it. And now we are restored under the book of the covenant. We get to do Torah, but we get to do it under the right rulings of Torah. I'm not going to be flaying open animals. I'm not going to be sacrificing animals. I get to follow all the Torah. Yes, even in the book of the law, there's good parts, right? You just have to go, well, hang on a minute. Um, is this about animal sacrifices or is this about family? You might want to read, you know, Leviticus um, 18, 19, 20. You know, how to act in your um, intimate affairs. Is that applicable? Of course it's applicable. But the bit where it says to go do sacrifices, you better go and make a sacrifice of prayer. It's called repentance. So that's how we rightly divide the word of truth. But Yahushua truly is the only way. And we're taught that in the church. He is the narrow road that leads to life. But he's the only one that can bring about, about the remedy to give you full access to the covenant. And that's what Paul was talking to the Galatians about, specifically about how the book of the law has been discharged and that now you're under the remedy of the Malchizedek priesthood. So it's sad when I see people that are looking for the truth, but then they get sidetracked and they never come to the fullness of it because they're still under the book of the law. You don't want to be lawless and full of greasy grace, but then you don't want to just jump over the fence and get into all this Torah law, and you're like, where's the mercy? Where's the love? Where's the compassion? And where is the power of the Holy Spirit? You won't find it under the burden of the book of the law. You find it in Melchizedek. So this, to me, is really, I think, how you and I should find that remedy in life is living as that Malkitzedic priesthood that we should live. So there's my introduction to the 8th edition Lech Lecha. And did I do it in under an hour and a half? If I did, I'd be amazed. I did? All right. If you have some chat, redline it in the chat, and I'll have a sippy sippy and uh, see what you guys are up to. Let me refresh my screen here. Yes, let's see, let's see. Hmm. I hope you all had a great Shabbat 
and a great feast of tabernacles wherever you were, wherever you were, wherever you were. Abro Zurath gives us a hundy, hundy, hundy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. And um, yes, we do have a, a bit of sad, not a bit, very sad news. I did, and I see it up in the chat here. Some of you may know Connor, um, who was um, from Snohomish and would come to the feasts with Diesel Grandma and Grandpa. He passed away in his sleep last night. So our condolences and prayers to Diesel Grandma and Grandpa and Giant Killer and um, Emma and Carlos, all those up there in Snohomish, our love and prayers to you all. I know Com um, Connor impacted my children's lives and, and our lives just to see how he interacted with his faith over the years. And um, it's so easy for us to take our days for granted. And then when something like this happens, it's very shocking. So our love and condolences and, of course, fond memories and honorable memories, of course, for um, Connor and our prayers for the family. Thank you for putting that up there in the chat. Oh, much more truth. That's exactly what I got out of Genesis 12. Abraham came out of her just like Revelation 18.4. We all must come out of her, Mystery Babylon. Yes. Uh, RJK, where exactly in the Torah is the book of the law written down? The book of the law starts in oh, Exodus, Shemot, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, I believe, just off the top of my head, and extends all the way through to the end of Deuteronomy. And you can find that in the Zedek series teachings that's up on YouTube. Um, Cody, at, um, he says, since we now have circumcised hearts, are we to circumcise the flesh of our sons in remembrance any longer? Or was it a land entrance token? Well, exactly. That's a very good question. Think about it. Circumcision was a token of entrance into the book of the covenant. Of course. But when the children of Israel broke the covenant with the sin of the golden calf, could they circumcise into the covenant anymore? No, the covenant was broken. So what would be the token? It would be like, you know, somebody getting married and then going a whoring and then them getting divorced and then saying, oh, okay, we're going to still, um, you know, this wedding ring mean No, you've broke, and now the next generation is going to have the wedding ring. No. Which is why the children of Israel remained uncircumcised in the whole time of the wilderness period. It was only in Joshua, I believe, 4, that they did recircumcise, but that was a land entrance token, which is why it appears again in Ezekiel, because Ezekiel was prophesying to the house of Israel in exile, and if they were going to have a land entrance token, they would have got circumcised. But they didn't even um, follow after that offer. So they remained exiles, as we do today. So no, circumcision we now have. If Yahusha paid the death penalty position, and he is the flaming torch and the burning oven, 
then um, we need to be circumcised into the covenant, right? And doesn't Paul tell us how to be circumcised? Don't we have the circumcision of Mashiach, which then allows us to enter into the covenant? So yeah, we still circumcise, but it's a circumcision of Mashiach. And now there's perfect harmony, isn't there? Perfect harmony. That's a good question there, Cody. Um, Shabbat Shalom, Chris De La Rosa. And Shabbat Shalom, Kevin Niebling. Where did you go? See, it just jumped on me. It just jumped on me. Give me a second. I lost my place. Oh, yes. If there was a temple built in the Middle East tomorrow, would animal sacrifices under the Aaronic priest be applicable and valid Torah? Well, firstly, the question would be, um, where would they build the temple? They would build it up on top of the Anatonia Fortress, I would imagine, which would be the wrong place geographically, because it's another 900 feet south of the wall of Jerusalem, south wall of Jerusalem, down in the, the, the valley of um, David, right? So that would be wrong. Then the, you would have the wrong priesthood, and you'd be following the wrong high priest, and then you'd be back under the book of the law. So that would make Yahushua's sacrifice a vain thing. So it wouldn't be valid Torah. Because the valid Torah is what has been ratified by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Malkitzedic high priest, Yahushua. And what did he just ratify? He just ratified full access back to Genesis 12. Did Abraham ever see a Levitical priest? No. In fact, the writer of the book of, the book of Hebrews says that Levi paid tithe to Abraham. Or did I get it reversed? Anyway, I'm going off the top of my head, but you know, I'm paraphrasing. Go look it up yourself. I'm rusty, aren't I? It's my first day back after Sukkot. I'm rusty. I admit it. I'm rusty, okay? I'm rusty. It looks a lot easier than it is, let me tell you. Ferran Lee. Ferran Lee, greeting from Minnesota. Blessings, brother. Do you believe that we are free under Yahuwah without correcting our status? Very good question. Status correction, you know, has its... Um, I've done a lot of status correction, but um, you don't need to if you know how to use another remedy, which is the better remedy, which I've been talking about today. So there are, you know, everything's an adhesion contract. So just look at your adhesion contracts and sever all adhesion contracts that you want to sever. So that is status correction to a degree, right? But um, you can find remedy without doing status correction. So oftentimes, status correction will lead you into statutory and arguments. And um, I don't want to do that in life anymore. So I did all the status stuff. And uh, I don't, that's not the remedy for me. It's not the way that Yahushua wants me to live. There's a better way. 
Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah Gerchad. Connor must be a gentle soul. Connor was a gentle soul. And I got to mick for him last Shabbat, and then this Shabbat he's not here. It just shows you, doesn't it? just shows you. Then we lost our dear brother Rob Skiba this week too. So our prayers um, to his wife and to his family and many of the brethren that um, followed him in his ministry. I mean, it's just tragic, just tragic. So truly that Yahuwah would have his hand upon his people during this time. Our condolences go out to the Skibas and all of those that um, are affected deeply. And, um, you know, I... I actually had um, a, a run-in with Rob Skiva several years ago, and um, he called me up, and there was a misunderstanding, and uh, I, I'd made a mistake, and I, I repented, and, and the guy was phenomenal. He was he was so nice. He he was he he t- was so understanding, and w- it was it was really I saw this man's character, and I think he saw mine as well. And, um, you know, people blow things up on Facebook and said, I said this. And he got kind of caught up into it. And, you know, I made a, I made a mistake. I really did. And, um, man, I spoke with him on the telephone. He sent me a bunch of books and uh, DVDs afterwards. And I was like, now, if more people could have that type of character. And that was really my only, um, I think, engagement with him. But you know what? I always remembered that man as somebody that was um, very, very equitable and very kind. So our blessings and prayers to his family. And that is hard to find in ministry, and it shouldn't be. People are too easy to divide, and they don't give you an opportunity to repent or, you know, you make a mistake. I've made mistakes, and there was a brother who gave me mercy and compassion and then heaped gifts upon me. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Anyway, Psalm 1, Torah, His, Emet. Shalom, Matt. We are back in Florida and very happy to be part of Yahuwah's feast with you guys. For your information, eat the guava jelly with cream cheese. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. I can't see your picture, but I know who you are. (laughs) Megan W., we are the set-apart ones understanding the parable of the royal Malchizedek priesthood and free from bondage. Hallelujah. And Libby, Baruch Hashem, Libby, I'm going to need to connect with you later. Um, Thank you for your email this week. Thank you so much, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Yes. Yes, there we go. Truth Like Velcro gives um, the information on um, Rob Skiba. Very shocking, very shocking. Ferran Lee has something to say about that. So, yeah. Um, good grief, good grief. It's just... Hmm. Carlos Guzman would recommend reading Dave Perry's Back to the Malchizedek Future as well. It's partly what helped me get out of the Messianic movement. Now, if Carlos can get out, then anybody can get out because he was part of that, uh, oh, what is that place that are like major, like oppressive uh, Messianics? 
Anyway, I, I, sh I won't say it because otherwise they'll be on me like flies, you know. Um, but Carlos was scowling at me and giving me this stink eye at Sukkot. And um, we are now just, um, I got to marry him and um, stand in as his uh, surrogate father. It was amazing. What an honor. I mean, talk about Yahweh turning lives around, mine and his. It's my dear brother. But yes, you can get, um, in fact, go to our website on the front page and sign up on our connect list and you will get a download on the Malkit Zedek. So you can get it right off of our website. It is a phenomenal book and I'm so thankful for Dr. David Perry's work on that. And he reached out to me all those years ago when he saw me with those red shoes on at um, Staley's. And, you know, you can zoom in on my, my shoes today. I just have a fascination with uh, red shoes, don't I, Moshe? Why is it? I always like a little bit of pop, don't I? Yes, I know, I know. Oh, I could sit and chat here all day long. Got a lot of rainbows coming up in the chat here. Oh, here we go. Here's a good one from, from Shabbat Fellowship. Truth Like Velcro asks, I wonder what the sign was on Cain's forehead that saved him from the death penalty. What are your thoughts? Do you think it was a mark by Yahusha? I don't know. That would be a, that, an interesting fireside conversation. A fireside conversation. Well, my brethren, I think we came to the end of the chat. You can go to our website, TorahToTheTribes.com, and you can download the Torah to the Tribes 8th edition Parashah Cycle so you know what to read, and we can all read the Torah Cycle together. Okay, so do that. And also go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. Connect. And I do want to say thank you so much, so many of you that were so generous at Sukkot in your giving and your tithes and your offerings and donations to charity and to people that needed help. We were able to help so many people and we are so, so thankful for your benevolence and graciousness truly in a time like this. So many people have lost loved ones and suffering and again we find that today another one of our saints passes. So remember to keep these families in prayer, whether it be the Skibas, keep these families in prayer, the Diesels up there in Snohomish, the Giants and all of those around Snohomish, our love and prayers to you all and be at peace and shalom. You are loved immensely. Shabbat shalom.